Welcome to Nature Is, a captivating new web series and podcast that delves deep into the heart of our planet's natural wonders and the solutions we have to preserve the ecosystems upon which all life depends. I've worked in the field of sustainability and climate policy for years, but only recently had the opportunity to immerse myself in the field of biomimicry. Janine Benyus, who coined the term, describes biomimicry as an operating manual for earthlings. And after my immersion course, I began to understand what I should have known all along, especially in my field, which is that we must think of nature as our teacher and learn from her 3.8 billion years of accumulated biological intelligence. So I hope you'll find this conversation with Nicole Miller, the Managing Director of Biomimicry 3.8, illuminating, and that it will spur you to think about how a simple reframing of learning from nature may transform human relationships with the natural world. Enjoy the conversation. One thing that gives me hope and kind of gives me grounding knowing how disconnected we are as a society is that thankfully we've had a lot of indigenous communities who have kept that connection who have always been connected and didn't lose it and i think as we start to recalibrate ourselves as a society that's coming back to to nature and is reconnecting to nature thankfully we have these mentors and elders and teachers and tribal communities that can help us really understand that in a in a more comprehensive way so that gives me hope nature inspires human solutions she gives us the blueprints designing harmonious systems where all of the parts support each other how do we use nature as our guide and our teacher to help our planet thrive and improve our future? Welcome to Nature Is, where we brainstorm, share innovative ideas, and have conversations to stir our spirits and elevate our actions for a better world. Hello and welcome everyone. Today we'll be talking about biomimicry, which is such a fitting way to start this podcast. And here with us to digest the topic and its many facets is Nicole Miller with Biomimicry 3.8 in Missoula, Montana. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. So good to have you. Um, well, let's just jump right in because I think biomimicry as a, as a term may, may intrigue and confuse some people. So if you were to explain this in simplest terms, how would you explain biomimicry? Yeah, I think maybe the simplest way to, to explain it is if you actually um, take apart the word bio, meaning life, and mimic, you know, to, to emulate, to mimic, is, is probably the simplest way. I think our founders came with a much more beautiful definition, which is the conscious emulation of nature's genius, right? So that's how we define it. Um, but I think, you know, for everyday simple, break it down into the, the core meaning of, of the word, and that kind of gives you the, the origin of what it is. I love that. And, and just this notion of thinking more in a more integrated way about how we learn from nature is, um, is, is intuitive or should be and obvious, but, but not as integrated into our daily lives as we might hope. I love when um, 
we do immersion programs uh, throughout the world and we, and we go into to corporate entities and, and give people kind of the, the foundation of biomimicry, the fundamentals, if you will. And it's so funny to kind of see people's reaction. It's kind of like the obvious. It's like, oh, of course, like, of course we should be doing this. So it's, and it's something that it's like, once you kind of know it in that way, like you can't unsee it, right? Like looking at this is of course what we should be doing. And once you kind of understand the basics, the premise of it, then it's like, you see the world through that lens entirely and, and you can't unsee it. So absolutely a hundred percent. It is so in, integrated into who we are as humans. We are part of nature. Um, and to be, you know, looking at, designing um, products, processes, systems, whatever nature should so much be part of um, the the inspiration for where we're, we're drawing our intelligence. Well, and I, and I say that because as you know, I had the, the good fortune to take one of your immersion classes in Brazil. And that was exactly my takeaway, which is how did I, how did I not think about this in a more <laughs> right. integrated fashion earlier? <laughs> well, thankfully I think kids um, are getting it more um, like, it, like in school, like it's now something that's, that's taught, but it's like, I look back, I'm like, why wasn't I taught this? Like in kindergarten or first grade, like every, you know, age of, of school, it should have been part of it. So luckily younger generations, some of them are getting that. So we, there's, there's hope in that trajectory. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and tell us more about the 3.8 in the title. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it was such a grounding explanation for me to hear this in terms of accumulated biological intelligence. So um, you'll you'll explain it better, but but, but tell us more. Yeah. So it's a very. Um, I would say we've chosen our name, Biomimicry three point eight, for a very deliberate reason to be able to explain that. So the three point eight is not the version of our company per se. There's not a three point nine or a four coming out anytime soon, but it's but it is to represent the three point eight billion years of R and D in nature. The first organism, the first life appeared three point eight billion years ago, and that's the intelligence that we can draw on when we are designing, as I mentioned, products, processes, systems. And I think what's so empowering about that is that we're not starting from scratch, right? When we look at the challenges that we face, the vexing challenges we face as a society right now, nature has had to solve for them as well. You know, whether it's something, you know, in our built environment as managing stormwater, or if it's something in our product space of, you know, packaging and moisture management, right? Like nature has solved for these things and gives us such an incredible abundance of intelligence to help inform new solutions, new innovative solutions that are inherently sustainable and, and can be regenerative. Yeah. And that's the lesson, right? To, to sort of shift our thinking from um, how we take from nature to how we learn from it. And that, that is, you know, when you, when you think about 3.8 billion years of accumulated intelligence, it seems like a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good strategy. Pretty good foundation. I think the other thing we talk about that too is, um, is from a risk perspective. I think when, particularly through the corporate lens, you know, anytime you're looking at innovation, there's, there's a risk associated with that. But if you can de-risk that process by using that 3.8 billion years of intelligence, why not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you access the, the best R&D lab that ever exists to help create um, that strategy? So I think helping people understand that as a tool to kind of de-risk that innovation process, I think really helps kind of those in that kind of corporate sector or business sector understand why this is a value. 
Absolutely. Those applied learnings. And yeah, I think that the de-risking framework is a really, a really important one. So can you help us understand what some examples would be for ways that people might relate to biomimicry in their daily lives? Sure. I think um, there's um, there's lots of examples. And I would say I'll plug um, asknature.org, our sister um, nonprofit, the Biomimicry Institute, has a website called asknature.org. And there's an innovations tab and you can look at hundreds of innovations that have come from nature. But I think every day what you see around you, if you've traveled on an airplane, you've experienced biomimicry, right? Um, Leonardo da Vinci studied birds um, in flight for many years, which then influenced the Wright brothers and their design of the airplane, right? So there's that's an example that everyone has most likely experienced. Or um, the bullet train in, in Japan is a great example. The designer of that train um, was an avid birder and watched how when the kingfisher um, entered the water, there was no splash. It had this like perfect entry point. And the challenge that they were facing was this, you know, massive boom when the tunnel went through, excuse me, when the train went through the tunnels. But by emulating the beak of the kingfisher, they were able to eliminate that that, that sound, making it, um, you know, a much more <laughs> um, community-oriented train. You can imagine if that was something you heard constantly, right? So, you know, your commute to work on on um, on a train such as that would would be an example. Um, so there's there's lots. I think once you start seeing, you know, ways at which we've um, integrated it into our thinking, you'll start to see it in in a lot of different places. But the, I think just your commute or travel to your family or vacation is probably one that most everyone has experienced and can relate to exactly. Well, and along those lines, because I think maybe some people immediately see this from a design perspective, but then to take it a step further and probably to the to the origins and the fundamentals of the um, the notion, how can people start to shift their mindsets as well um, to learn from nature? Uh, so maybe they're recognizing aspects of biomimicry, but to our earlier point, um, you know, it's it's one thing to say it, but do you have any suggestions as to how? an individual might might do that more regularly in their daily lives. Yeah, one of the tools that I use personally um, most often is um, a, a, t- a tool that we've developed called Life's Principles. So when you look over the 3.8 billion years of R&D in nature, there are six fundamental kind of design guidelines of success. Essentially, all the organisms that have survived and thrived, they've done these kind of core six things, right? And then there's kind of sub-principles of those. And so such as things as adapt to changing conditions or nested in modular design. And so it it doesn't even necessarily have to be product design, because to your point, I think that's oftentimes where people go is like material design, but that's such a small piece of where biomimicry is applied. Like there's so much in our built environment, our buildings, right? There's many examples about how our buildings have actually been informed by nature. We've had several projects where the local intelligence of beavers or termites actually inform the design itself. So I think using that as a framework to, to, to ask this question of, is what I'm designing, whether it's a product, a process, a system, my my house, you know, you're like just your own day-to-day life, right? When we talk about designers, we don't see it in the lens of like a product designer or someone with that official title. We see us all as designers, whether we're 
you know, designing our household budget or whether we're designing, you know, how our organizations are functioning, we're all creating, right? And so in that process of creating, how can we use guidelines um, and design principles from nature to really kind of help ensure that the way that we are creating is in sync and is in kind of symbiosis with, with how nature functions, right? Kind of going back to that, that point, like we are nature, right? So how do we kind of design? So for me, and we can put this in the show notes, I think the, the life's principles is such a foundational tool to just kind of help our thinking um, of asking, okay, well, what would nature do? And is what I'm designing kind of in line with, with these kind of core principles for how nature functions? Yeah, I agree. And I think having those life principles for others to review is is so important because it's basically the guideline to um, to to the the three point eight billion years of accumulated intelligence that helps us to look through those things and check the boxes to whether they're applicable or not. Well, it's it's kind of like the equivalent of like nature's best practices, right? So it's like if you had that list of like, okay, these are the best things that that nature has done to, to be regenerative, to 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 survive and thrive over time. So it just becomes a really um, functional tool and just a really informative tool. And I'm remembering from the Brazil immersion that uh, the concept of a biologized question was introduced, which was mm. very new to me, so maybe new to others. But I liked that reframing of asking the question, how does nature create light versus how does nature create a light bulb? And even just that shift in thinking, at least for me, was um, a helpful example to, to get me to shift away from you know this this more sort of humanized way of thinking versus one that would be more embedded in a in biology. Yeah, and I think the the core um, part of that that was really helpful for me when I first started, um, I think, kind of coming into this field was asking the question of not is it not what do you want to create, but what do you want your creation to do. Right. What is the outcome that you're going for? And that gives us the function and function is the bridge to biology. Right. The functional bridge. So the example I love is like, you know, the team at Apple wouldn't say, well, how would nature create an iPhone? They would say, how does nature geolocate and how might we use geolocation as a data point or as a reference for how we might design something, right? So I think, what is it that we want to, to do with our design or our creation gives us the function that allows us to access that 3.8 billion years. So that's an excellent point of really getting to the, the, the functional um, aspect of, of what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a helpful example. The, and, and actually along the lines of the Apple example, um, and transitioning from the ways that individuals might apply this, I know that you work a lot with businesses, and so maybe you can help us to to, to understand how the businesses that you work with integrate biomimicry. There's a multitude of ways of, of how biomimicry can be applied, as I mentioned, right? Biomimicry is agnostic to any industry, and we've worked in a lot of them, I think over 70 different industries. So I think for us, our approach is what is it that the kind of challenge that the business is facing? What is it that they're trying to solve? Kind of going back to the function, right? What is it that they ultimately um, need to create? And whether that's something within their built environment or something within their product design or their supply chain, um, there's a lot of different ways that that we can bring biomimicry in. But our formula is, is quite simple and that we just start with kind of a 101 of what biomimicry is, the foundation of it, and then start to 
explore the potential. Okay, what are the ways in which biomimicry might be able to, to help you? And so we've worked on everything from, you know, helping Nike design, you know, new uh, clothing to helping um, Jacob's engineer design the city planning um, to helping Microsoft think about data centers, right? So it's, so it's quite diverse. I would say that the, the, our approach is we try to really help companies find um, really a tangible kind of outcome of their experience so that they can really have that visceral understanding of the benefits. And a, and a, a pattern that we've seen to do that is really in the built environment, their physical spaces. So whether it's their corporate offices, whether it's their manufacturing facilities, data center, whatever it might be, most companies have a physical location, um, which they have the sphere of control over. And that becomes a really nice entry point because everyone um, or most companies want to create a space that has a positive impact at minimum for their employees, but also for their communities. And that pressure to become a welcome neighbor is becoming, you know, even more so from, from the corporate uh, perspective. So a lot of our work right now is really in the built environment and in that uh, space um, to help companies, you know, become a welcome neighbor, have positive impacts on their communities, and really linking that now to the intersection with biodiversity and how can we create positive impact not only for people, but the ecosystem in which they operate. So a lot of our work is really around that. We have an initiative called Project Positive, which is helping companies kind of move towards this goal of, you know, moving away from being less bad to, to having positive impact and using nature as a model, mentor, and measure for that process, right? We can look at not only how do we inform our design, but how do we actually measure and put metrics against it, which we know is so important in that corporate environment. And in particular now is that's intersecting with um, compliance and regulation. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, um, one of the examples I remember us talking about was the factory as a forest project. And when you were describing the like, determining the material impact on nature and then how that building was designed to emulate it, uh, it was so inspiring. Maybe you can share a little bit of, of background around that work. Yeah. So this was a project that actually started with Interface. We've been longtime collaborators with, with Interface. Um, we kind of joke that they're an, an amazing company. They've continually ranked in, in kind of the top five um, most sustainable companies in the world. And we've worked with them for over 20 years. And we often joke that they're they're a great company to be like the first penguin off the iceberg, right? They're really willing to kind of try things and be innovative and to push themselves, right? And, to, and they are really looked to as an industry leader. Like it was interesting being at one of their facilities and they were giving tours of their business to other sustainability leaders. It's like, that's like the first stop on the sustainability train when you become a CSR. It's like, oh, go look to see what Interface has done. So they've been a great collaborator. And this whole kind of name of Factory as a Forest really came out of um, some work we did with them where they were approaching their 2020 goals and were on the way to kind of reach their goals and were kind of setting their vision for what they wanted to do next. And we really had a good conversation around kind of sphere of control, right? And that's to the point earlier, like their facilities were one thing that they had control over, but they hadn't really been talking about because 
most of their impact was in their product space. And so that's where a lot of their energy had been spent was, and had done an amazing, they've done some amazing work in that space. So we kind of brought this notion of factory as a forest in to kind of help diversify the, the areas of investment and impact that they were making as an organization. And so by looking at their own manufacturing facilities to say, hey, what are we doing at our own facilities that is having a positive impact and helping us become you know, the most sustainable company in the world? And so that's kind of where this notion came is like, well, your, your facility should be functioning like the wildlands next door, right? They should be performing, they should be emulating, and they should be producing the same ecosystem services. And this is where metrics come in, right? Because we can measure the wildlands next door. We can measure how much carbon is being sequestered, how much biodiversity is being created, how much soil is being generated, right? Like that's all measurable. And so we can then compare a company's site to saying, how much ecosystem services is your site comparing? And when you look at that gap to say, okay, you're here, the ecosystem is here, how do we start to close that gap? How do we start to say that your factory is going to function like this forest next door? And that's where biomimicry really becomes, um, in, I mean, not only as the measure, because this is emulating the performance, but then also how are we going to solve that gap? And so there's incredible nature-based solutions that we can introduce and then looking at what are the right nature-based solutions to this place, right? Like, Instead of just saying, okay, all factories will have a bioswell, but what is it that we're trying to do here? Are we trying to manage stormwater here in the same way that in, you know, in Singapore, in the same way that we're trying to do in you know, Phoenix? Probably not, right? So what are the ways that we can close that gap that's unique to that place? So Factories of Forest was really the first project out of the gate to kind of see how could we integrate this as part of a corporate strategy. And so we wrote a case study, we can also put this in the show notes, um, called The Design Revolution is Here, which really talks about how we use this framework of identify, quantify, create, and implement of helping companies understand, identify what, what matters to place, like what's important to the ecosystem, what's important to the community, and what's important to the company. And how can you use that to then inform what is it that we need the facility to do in this place? Um, if you have facilities and factories that are um, have been around for a long time and that community has suffered environmental degradation over 50 years and there's high asthma rates, right? Then air quality is one of the number one things that we want to be able to do. Okay, great. How do we then design for a place that creates better air quality or you know things that can support what's important to that community, right? So that's a big part of that work. And it's been really exciting with them being the first penguin off the iceberg to be able to talk about that work and then to be able to bring others on board. We've had some great projects with Ford and Microsoft and um, and others where we've really start to kind of bring this thinking. And when you look at organizations like Microsoft who are building data centers quite frequently, you know, how do we build in a way that has positive impact to place? So it's a really um, exciting part of what we're working on. And as I mentioned, Project Positive um, is, is really kind of the, the foundation of, of companies who are doing that work and sharing information, which is so key right now, um, on the progress that they're making and how we can help kind of expedite the the practice and learnings um, from from this group of companies to 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 more who can then start to use the same learnings for for their sites. 
Great. No, and I think as nature positive initiatives and nature led business strategies gain traction, that those examples I think are really um, illustrative of um, incredibly sound strategies that you know a few businesses are adopting and and can serve as really good examples for others to to consider. So we've talked a lot about uh, relating more closely to nature, and I think one of the components that at least I didn't realize, and maybe it's the case with others, is that there has been a separation of um, of humans from nature over the years. And that, as we know, is, is a whole conversation unto itself. But as you think about when this separation from nature began, um, are you able to give some, some context or examples that you think are um, or a time frame that you think is is most relevant in that respect, because I, I think having this awareness, at least for me, was was useful. Yeah. Well, you're right in that it's it's a whole conversation in of itself. <laughs> but I think I'll share my perspective on it. I do think the industrial revolution obviously is where we really started to separate, and I think the mindset of the industrial revolution really then started to kind of exacerbate that. So let me give you a, so a couple of thoughts that come to mind. I think one thing that gives me hope and kind of gives me grounding, knowing how disconnected we are as a society, is that thankfully we've had a lot of indigenous communities who have kept that connection, who have always been connected and didn't lose it. And I think as we start to recalibrate ourselves as a society that's coming back to, to nature and is reconnecting to nature, Thankfully, we have these mentors and elders and teachers and tribal communities that can help us really understand that in a in a more comprehensive way. So that gives me hope. Um, I think also by seeing that it for me personally, when I look at even I live in Montana, so we have many um, indigenous communities around us. When I look at how they practice their way of life, it just feels better. It just feels right, this is how it is. This is how we're supposed to be because we have separated ourselves from nature. Even um, even laws are written where we are separate from nature. We are other, right? And we know that's not true. We are very much part of it. And so for me, that's a big part of like my my kind of hope and where I where I see us going. But I also think part of what's made the issue so much an us versus nature is the way our system is designed and this short-termism that we live in. And, you know, we, everything is quarterly earnings. And we go back to like the example that I gave earlier around, you know, the, the study of flight, the study of birds and the, this, the work that Leonardo da Vinci did, that then inspired the Wright brothers, right? Like that didn't happen in a quarter that happened over time. And we learned and we adapted and we evolved and we applied that thinking and our, systems don't allow for that right now. The, the boundaries of which we operate are so confined and are so unrealistic for the type of, um, for the type of, of design that we so desperately need. So I think that's been a big part of what's exacerbated that issue of being separate is just the structure of like, must grow every quarter, must see this, you know, percent of change that doesn't happen in nature. And, and I think coming back to being more connected, 
what I think is really exciting right now is to show that when we think in systems and when we think in holistic design, the long term, the benefits are so much greater. The profitability is so much greater. The outcomes are so much better for all. And so just changing kind of the goalpost, if you will, in terms of what is it that we're aiming towards, if we're aiming toward this kind of long-term success um, that benefits all versus short-term that benefits very few, and we're thinking more holistically, this this way of, of being connected and, and living in a in a mutualistic way is of is of course like so obvious. Um, so I might have diverged a little bit, but that's what comes to mind when you ask that question. No, I think that's I think that's all very appropriate, and and it's it's worth bringing in the quarterly earnings piece, which is increasingly a pet peeve of mine, and I've seen in so many ways how that is to the detriment of 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 you know long term. Um, gains. So uh, you're right. I think there's a lot to be learned there, and 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 I appreciate the uh, the examples because I'm not sure that we all think about when this separation began, and and it is helpful to to kind of I think think about how we get back to that. Um, so as our time draws to a close, um, do you have advice for individuals or business leaders on ways to consistently incorporate mentorship by nature? And I'm curious on that point, if you have any um, uh, particular mentors in nature that you lean on and, and, and any explanations as to why. Hmm. Well, I would say um, in terms of the, the first question, I think there's an abundance of, of resources and information, whether from, you know, us at B38 or the Institute, um, th there's a, ask nature, there's a lot of different resources that I think if, if you truly kind of pause and ask the question of well, what would nature do? How would I solve this in a way that would create a, a mutualism with nature, right? Instead of taking something and having negative impact, how might I do this in a way that would have positive impact? And not, again, not just for the ecosystem, but for the people in which reside in them, right? Again, we're part of nature. So I think just like pausing to ask that question is one that will leave, um, I think, an, an abundance of, of information that could then, you know, um, start start ideating a lot of, of, of new thinking and, and new ideas. So, so that's one. For me personally, um, it's funny, we get this question a lot, like, what's your favorite organism? And it's kind of like choosing a favorite child. It's like, ah, like can, that's not a fair question. It doesn't question. have to be your favorite. It can just be one you like. Anything. Well, I'm going to kind of, I, I'm going to answer it in a way that that might um, divert a little bit be, because I, I don't necessarily have a favorite or, I mean, I have many favorite organisms, um, but what I'm looking to a lot right now is the adaptive cycle in nature. Um, we're going through a growth phase within our company. And so for me personally, I've been looking at that in terms of as a way of framing and thinking about, you know, what is it that when we go through the stage of growth and then and then release and then reorganize and rebuild, like, what does that mean? So that's personally something that I've been holding a lot like that in balance with um, life's principles have been kind of two things that I've been using a lot. And I think any organization that's going through growth, that's going through disruption, or that's going through um, change, the, the adaptive cycle at minimum is just a great 
um, tool that gives us psychological safety around the process. Like, the, oh, there is a process. There is a natural flow to this that if we allow it to happen, if we embody that um, or, or trust, you know, if we trust in kind of the process, the right things do come together. And then if using that as a mentor, we can then really, um, I think, hold it in a way that that brings integrity to the process as we go to rebuild or as we go through growth or as we go through disruption. So that's something that I've personally been leaning into a lot recently. Super helpful. And as usual, Nicole, we could go on and on. Um, but <laughs> I think as a starting point, this is just a great introduction for many people into what biomimicry is and the ways that you know they might begin to shift thinking and practices to um, to integrate nature more holistically into their daily lives. So thank you for your time and the work that you do in the world um, and for all the energy you brought to today's conversation. We'll follow up with show notes so everyone can keep track of the great work that Biomimicry 3.8 is doing. Wonderful. Thank you, Laura. It was great to be here.